Well, good morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 23. Turn there and we will read verses 39 through 43. The title of my message this morning is, You Can Learn a Lot from a Thief. All right, hang with me. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. We join the the narration here right in the middle of the crucifixion. Luke is giving us this account of the death of Christ. And we pick it up in verse 39. And we read these words. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. Well, three weeks ago today, January 26, 2020, around the time that our morning service concluded, Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna and seven other people were killed in a helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. Absolutely shocking news to the world. Just the night before, LeBron James had passed Kobe Bryant and became the third time all-leading scorer in NBA history. I read the tweet on Sunday morning from Kobe Bryant congratulating LeBron for passing him for third place. We would later learn that the two talked on the phone that Sunday morning, just hours before Kobe's death. I had just taught from the Gospel of Mark on that Sunday afternoon at a Korean young adult service in Elk Ridge. And after I came back from teaching, I sat down and one of the young men who attends our the service at the Korean church said to me, Kobe died. And I said, what do you mean Kobe died? Like that was his reaction to being passed the night before. It was really strange for him to say those words. And he said, no, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. I didn't believe it at first. The timing just didn't make sense. And I was really skeptical when I learned that it was TMZ that was reporting the news. But then I began to get notifications on my phone from ESPN and CNN and Fox News that Kobe Bryant had indeed been killed. You probably remember what you were doing when you heard the news, especially if you're under the age of 30 and you like sports, because while Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player of my generation, Kobe Bryant was that for those under the age of 30. I am 49 years old and I cannot remember the death of an athlete or a former athlete having such a great impact in our nation and on our world than Kobe Bryant. That next week I had 10 or 12 discipleship meetings with the Navy athletes that I meet with on a weekly basis and I asked every one of them what they were doing when they heard the news and they all told me the exact same thing that they did not believe it when they heard it. Because they thought, how could this happen to Kobe Bryant? How could it happen to his 13-year-old daughter who is a rising basketball star herself? 
how could this happen to Kobe Bryant? He was only 41 years old. And as I got home and Sally and I watched hours of coverage on ESPN and Jalen Rose was interviewed, a former NBA player uh, that Kobe Bryant scored 80 points against when he was on the Raptors. Jalen Rose was talking about the fact that Kobe was supposed to live into his 80s. He was supposed to be a grandfather. He was supposed to be one of those living NBA legends that you would see at a basketball game. They would show him on the camera and you would remember how of his greatness on the, on the floor. I was talking with one of those Navy athletes that week and we talked about the fact that life is indeed a vapor. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. We are only promised today and that we are destined to die once and then to face judgment. And then we talked about the fact that not many young people think about their own mortality. We also talked about the fact that neither of us knew Kobe Bryant. We didn't know his spiritual condition. But that if he and the others knew that their helicopter was going to crash and result in their death, they could have called out to Jesus in those final moments and trusted him through faith alone and received the forgiveness of their sins and everlasting life. And so this young man said to me, his name is Eli, I baptized him here back in the fall. He said, what does someone need to know in order to have forgiveness and everlasting life? What does someone need to know? And I answered him by giving him an outline from Luke 23, and that is the outline and the message that I would like to share with you today. Pastor Leek has been preaching in the book of Acts, and we have been learning about evangelism and uh, who is to evangelize, why we are to evangelize, how to do that. And so I wanted to follow up those three messages with a very practical gospel message for those of you who are here and maybe you are not yet in Christ. And for those of us who are believers, a practical way to share the gospel with the lost. So that's my hope and what I'm trying to do with all of you today. I want to show you from the word of God five things that the thief recognized while he was being crucified next to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are five things that I believe we must all recognize as well. Number one, he recognized that Jesus was God. He recognized that Jesus was God. If you would go back to verse 39 again with me, we read that one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God? In verse 33 of this same chapter, we learn that there were two criminals that were crucified with Jesus, one on the left and one on the right. The gospel writers tell us that this crucifixion of these three men began at 9 a.m. And Matthew and Mark both tell us that these criminals were robbers, they were thieves, they're called malcontents, and that they were mocking Jesus at the beginning. That they joined the chief priests and the scribes and the elders by saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. And here we see one of them saying, are you not the Christ, save yourself And us. But by this time in the narrative, as we join here in verse 39, 
the other thief is no longer participating in this mockery. He says in verse 40, do you not even fear God? You see, something happened during this crucifixion period in the heart of this repentant thief. And let me tell you what happened. There's only one explanation. God changed his heart. God, by his grace, because he is rich in love, because he is abundant in mercy, reached down and took this man's heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh and enabled this vile criminal to see that he was not being crucified next to an ordinary man, but he was being crucified next to God himself. God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. And that is exactly who Jesus was. He was God in the flesh. Jesus claimed to be God throughout his earthly ministry and throughout his entire ministry. In John chapter five, Jesus said, my father is working until now and I myself am working. And we read after this, for this reason, the Jews were seeking to kill him because he not only healed on the Sabbath day, but because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He wasn't saying we're just one in mission, one in purpose, because in verse 31, the Jews knew exactly what he meant, and we read the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And they did this because they believed he was committing blasphemy, saying, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Friends, this repentant thief recognized who Jesus was. He recognized that Jesus was God, and so must we. Jesus must be God because only God can forgive sin. And Jesus claimed to forgive sin, the sin of others, time and time again. If Jesus is not God, he did not have the power to forgive sin, and that would make him a liar, which would mean that he is not our perfect sacrifice and that he did not atone for our sins. And so we would have no hope we would have no reason to be here this morning. And really the only hope I could give you from this pulpit would be to tell you to stay alive, stay alive as long as you can, to avoid the fires of hell. That's it. But friends, Jesus is God and you must believe that he is God to have your sins forgiven and to have eternal life. And you must tell lost sinners that Jesus is God and that he is the only one who can forgive you of your sins and give you everlasting life. Number two, the second thing the thief recognized, he recognized that he himself was a sinner deserving death. He recognized that he himself was a sinner deserving death. Look again in verse 40. He says, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. This is amazing. I love this part of the scripture here. This man recognized something that many people do not. He recognized that he was a sinner and that he deserved to die. I love his recognition of his own sin, his own depravity. And this is no ordinary criminal. The Bible calls them thieves, robbers, malcontents. They are more than just thieves and robbers. This man is a murderer. 
most likely part of the insurrection with Barabbas. And that is why he is being put to death by crucifixion at the hands of the Romans. It is like this man is saying this. Number one, we are murderers. Two, the punishment for our sin, our crime, is death. Death by crucifixion. And number three, today we are getting exactly what we deserve. Oh, that all of us here today would come to that realization. Oh, that every sinner we encounter outside these doors would come to that realization. Amen? That all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. I have talked to people before, perhaps you have too, who claim they have never sinned. Oh, I love those conversations. There's your first one, okay? Or who do not believe in the concept of sin. Or who will admit that they have sinned, but not as badly as other people. Not this man. This man is bleeding to death. He is fighting hard not to suffocate. And while facing this awful and brutal death, his eyes are open to the weight of his own sin. He understands that it is because of his sin that he is being condemned. He understands that the punishment he is facing is a just punishment. And he understands that he is getting exactly what he deserves. Friends, we must all come to this realization. And if you have not yet done so, today would be a great day to do so. Because as Kobe Bryant found out three weeks ago, today you are not guaranteed tomorrow. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is no one who does good, no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. There is no one righteous, not even one. And that our sins separate us from God so that he cannot hear us, that the wages of sin is death, that it is appointed for man to die once and then to face judgment, and that those who die apart from Jesus Christ will suffer in a place called hell for all eternity a place of torment, a place of outer darkness, a place where there is no rest and no relief, where the worm does not die and where the fire is not quenched. Have you come to this understanding in your own life? Do you understand that you have sinned against a holy and perfect God? Do you understand that your sins have separated you from him? Do you understand that if you were to die right now, you would go to hell? And that you would get exactly what you deserve for your deeds. We must all come to this point. And this is the message we must share with a lost and dying world. People will not see their need to be saved until they understand they are lost. People will not see their need to be made alive until they understand they are dead. And people will not see their need to be at peace with God until they understand they are at war with him. They are not his friends. They are his enemies. Number three, the third thing the thief recognized, he recognized that Jesus was a perfect man. He recognized that Jesus was a perfect man. Verse 41, again, he says, and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. Look at the contrast. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
This is the third man in about a 12-hour period to recognize that Jesus was innocent. If you would, just go back in this same chapter to verses 13 through 15. Luke 23, verses 13 through 15. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Pilate, as we know, is the Roman procurator or the governor of Judea. He is the one placed in charge. He is the one who approves and executes death, death by crucifixion. The chief priests and the rulers had brought Jesus to him and Pilate examined him fully. And as we read here, he found no guilt in Jesus. Pilate even had him sent to Herod. Herod was thrilled to have met Jesus. He had heard much about him. And he examined him as well. And he sent him back to Pilate, having observed that nothing deserving death had been done by him. Pilate was ready to release Jesus, to be free. For he had done nothing wrong. We read in verse 20 that Pilate wanted to release him. Verse 22, Pilate said to them the third time, I have found no, in him no guilt demanding death. So Pilate examined him and knew that he was innocent. Herod examined him and knew he was innocent. And now we have this thief on the cross who was guilty, who knew that he was guilty, who is getting exactly what he deserved. We see this man observe the man that he is being crucified next to as innocent, that this man is perfect and sinless. There would be one more man who would recognize and declare that Jesus was innocent. One of the Roman soldiers, one of the men in charge of his execution. Look at verse 47. That's not the right verse. Yes, it is. Sorry, I was in chapter four. Pick it up in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God saying, certainly this man was innocent. Four men in a 12-hour period recognized that Jesus was an innocent man, that he was blameless, that he was perfect, that he was sinless. It's absolutely amazing. But you know what? Those four men could have been wrong. They didn't grow up with Jesus. They didn't observe his earthly life. They didn't know his secret thoughts and motives. What if Jesus had sinned when he was younger? What if he had struggled with pride or with lust? What if he got angry with his brothers? What if he had disobeyed his parents? Well, those four men could have been wrong, but God cannot be wrong. 
And he tells us here in his word, in his God-breathed, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and holy word, that Jesus did not sin one time. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 21 to 22, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. John tells us in 1 John 3, 5, you know that he, being Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. And the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4, 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Those four men could have been wrong, but God cannot be wrong, and he tells us over and over in his word through the men that he inspired and superintended to write his word that Jesus did not sin, not even once. He never had a lustful look. He never had an evil thought. He never told a lie, not even a white one. He never had a prideful moment. He never disobeyed his earthly parents. Jesus went to the cross as our sinless substitute, amen? He is the perfect lamb of God without sin or blemish. God saw the sacrifice of his one and only son and he was satisfied. It pleased the Lord, the father to crush him because he was the perfect lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the world. Friend, you and I must believe that Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. Jesus and Jesus alone. Christian, you must tell others about the sinless Savior, the only man to have ever lived a perfect life. And friends, we must defend this. We must declare this and we must be willing to die for this truth, the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. Again, if Jesus sinned one time, we have no hope. We are still in our sins and we are all on our way to hell. I believe the Bible and I think you do too. And I believe that the sinless son of God bore our sins in his body on the tree and by his stripes we are healed. We are healed from the disease of the sin that separated us from God. Number four. The fourth thing the thief recognized, he recognized that Jesus would overcome death. He recognized that Jesus would overcome death. Verse 42. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. I'm so thankful for Luke and for his gospel. This is the only gospel that includes this conversation between this repentant thief and Jesus. I'm so glad that we can read of this account. I've been able to use this account so many times in sharing the gospel with people. These words from the repentant thief are shocking that we read here. They're stunning. He says, Jesus, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. These are amazing words. Why? Because no one survived a crucifixion. If you lived in or around Jerusalem and you saw someone coming through the city carrying their cross on the way to Golgotha, on their way to death, you knew and understood they weren't coming back. No one endured and overcame the, this brutal and horrific type of execution from the Romans. Just imagine if we were all in downtown Baltimore and you saw someone come by seated on the back of a trailer sitting in an electric chair, all strapped in, you know things are not going to end well for that guy. Or if you're in downtown D.C. and you saw someone come by inside of a contained uh, gas chamber, all hooked up and restrained, it's not going to end well. You would know that those people were not coming back. They were not going to live. And the same is true about crucifixion. No one overcame this type of death. The Romans were very good at crucifixion. 100% success. Everyone who was crucified on a cross died. There were no survivors. These two thieves had to know that they were not going to survive this execution. They knew that Jesus was not going to survive this execution. They were all going to die on this Friday afternoon. But this repentant thief saw something in Jesus. This was no ordinary man. This was the God-man. Fully God, fully man. No avenger can match that. This was the perfect savior. And this thief understood that although Jesus would indeed die physically, he would also live again. He would overcome death and he would rise again. And so he calls out to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you are reunited with your father in heaven. And I think about all the things that Jesus could have said in response. He could have said, I'm sorry, my friend, but you are not worthy of heaven. You've sinned too much. You're a murderer. And murder is unforgivable. Jesus could have said, it's too late. There's no such thing as a deathbed conversion. He could have said, I'm sorry, but you've never been baptized. Or you've never joined the church. Or you've never worn a, you've never worn a Christian t-shirt. You've never sung along to Chris Tomlin or Lauren Daigle. <laughs> or he could have said, you cannot go to where I am going because you've not done any good works. He could have said, friend, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I tried, but I'm about to die. It's over for me too. But Jesus did not say any of those things. Look what he says in verse 43. Truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. I love this for so many reasons. It serves as an important example that we are saved by faith and by faith alone. It shows us that no, no one man's sin is greater than the grace of Almighty God. It shows us the amazing love and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who although he was dying a brutal death, even though he was sinless, although he could have been thinking about himself and how the Father had to turn his back upon him before becoming the sin of the world, he still had enough grace in him 
in these final moments to atone for one more man's sin and grant him forgiveness and everlasting life. What a beautiful display of the gospel. Jesus did not tell him, sorry, I am finished. He would say the word tetelestai, it is finished. Paid in full. He would answer him, yes, I will remember you indeed. And he says, today, this very day, you will be with me in paradise, in heaven, with my father. This thief recognized that Jesus would overcome death, and we know that he did. The Bible tells us that Jesus died and that he was buried, but that on the third day he rose again, that he appeared to many over a 40-day period, including 500 believers at one time, and that after 40 days he ascended back to heaven, where he now sits at God's right hand. And that he is now preparing a place for us and interceding for us. And that he will come a second time to receive all who have placed their faith and trust in him alone. Friends, we must tell others that not only did Jesus die, but that he rose again and he lives today. Amen? I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. Finally, number five, the fifth thing that this thief recognized, he recognized that Jesus was the only way to heaven. He recognized that Jesus was the only way to heaven. And you're maybe wondering, where did I come up with this one? From one word in verse 42, and he was saying, Jesus, that's it, Jesus. Here's a fun fact that I learned many years ago. This is the only man in scripture, in the word of God, in the gospels, to simply address Jesus by his first name. Others came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, good teacher, Messiah, Lord, son of David, all appropriate titles for Christ. There is no doubt that Mary and Joseph would have addressed him as Jesus. That's what they named him. That was the name they were commanded to give him as well as his brothers and sisters. I think they would have addressed him as Jesus. But this man is the only man in scripture to simply address him as Jesus. Jesus, Yeshua. There's meaning to his name, isn't there? His name means the Lord is salvation. Yahweh saves. This thief was dying. He was in need of salvation. He needed to be saved. And so he calls out to the one who came to bring salvation. And he calls out to the one who is salvation. Jesus would say these words in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter and and the disciples would continue preaching this message after Jesus ascended back to heaven. We read in Acts 4.12 and these words, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. This thief recognized that Jesus was the only way to heaven, that Jesus was the only way of salvation that no one else could save him, that no one else could forgive him of his sin, that no one else could give him eternal life. 
And we must all come to this realization as well, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. I have a friend named Sherman Smith. I met him in 1994 when I was working for Fellowship of Christian Athletes in Illinois. He was the running backs coach at the University of Illinois, a very strong believer in Christ, very outspoken about his faith, very bold, very courageous Christian. Some of you might recognize his name. Sherman Smith was a running back back in his playing days. He played in the NFL for eight seasons with the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the San Diego, now Los Angeles Chargers. And he told me this story many years ago. I've never forgotten it, and I'd love to share it. He tells a story about Sherman tells a story about coming home from an NFL game and being on the charter plane with his teammates, with the coaching staff, with the administrative staff. And I don't remember if he was playing for the Seahawks or the Chargers at the time, but he told me that as they were flying, the pilot came on the intercom and said, our landing gear is not working and we're going to have to make an emergency landing. So brace for impact. And Sherman talked in great detail of of what was going on when this announcement was made and how these grown men who were making less than NFL players make today, but were still making a lot of money, he said everyone started praying out loud on the plane, calling out to the Lord, making deals with God. Lord, if you get me out of this, I will do this, right? I wish you could have heard, I wish you could hear him tell the story because he tells it very dramatically, but he says something like this. They weren't calling out to Buddha. (laughs) They weren't calling out to Muhammad. They were calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were calling out to Jesus, the name above all names, the name that has been given among men by which we must be saved. By the way, he survived, or he wouldn't have been able to tell me the story. (laughs) They got it corrected, they landed, and he said it was really sad because these men who had prayed and made these deals with God didn't follow through. But Sherman Smith has been living his life faithfully for Jesus Christ to this day. Friends, Jesus is the only way to heaven. There are not many ways to God. I know that's not politically correct to say but there is one way to the Father and it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There are not many paths to eternal life. You don't just figure it out, whatever works best for you. There is one way and that is through Christ and Christ alone. Because only Jesus was born of a virgin. Only Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. Only Jesus atoned on the cross for sinners. Only Jesus rose again for yours and for my justification. And only Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. There's one chair there, and it's for Christ and Christ alone. There's not multiple seats for multiple prophets and saviors. It is occupied by Jesus and Jesus alone. Are you trusting in him? Have you placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone? Today, friends, today is the day of salvation. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. None of us are. Your life is a vapor. It is here today. It is gone tomorrow. 
Don't think that you have all the time in the world. Don't say, I'll come to Jesus when I'm good and ready. Or that you will have the opportunity to be crucified next to Jesus one day. Because that's not going to happen again. I'm emotional and I don't even know this young man. But I've seen how his death has affected so many. One week ago, yesterday, one of our midshipmen at the Naval Academy, Duke Carrillo, a sophomore, was running the PRT. It's the physical readiness test. Our midshipmen have to do this a couple times a year. It's a routine thing. They do some sit-ups, some push-ups. I think you do planks now, right, Perry? And then they run a mile and a half. Uh, have to run it in a certain time. And Duke had a heart attack. Collapsed and was pronounced dead at the hospital. He was 21 years old. They buried him at the academy on Friday. Surreal. Friends, today is the day of salvation. Trust Jesus today while it is still called today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. And I do thank you for this account that Luke recorded for us and included it in his gospel. Lord, this great story of hope, this man, this vile sinner, had an incredible opportunity to be crucified next to Jesus, the God-man, the way, the truth, the life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, I thank you, despite his sin, let Lord, you reach down. Although he began that crucifixion time mocking you, sneering at you, Lord, you changed his heart. He was able to see that the man he was being crucified next to was no ordinary man, but was Jesus, was God, God in the flesh. Thank you, Lord, for revealing to him that he was a sinner deserving death. Lord, men men can't come to that realization on their own. That is something done supernaturally by your spirit. So thank you for working in his heart. And thank you for showing him that Jesus was innocent, that he was perfect and sinless, that he was the sinless substitute who came to atone for sinners. Thank you, Lord, that he understood that Although Jesus would die physically, he would overcome death. And on the third day that he would be raised again. And that he understood that Jesus was the only way, the only person who could save him from his sins. Thank you for granting him eternal life. Lord, we will meet him one day in glory. 
Your grace is amazing. No one can out your grace. No one can be, go, go beyond your mercy and your love. But Lord, we know and we understand that today is the day of salvation. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you, oh Lord, do a work in their heart. Cause them to see that Jesus is God, that they are a sinner deserving death, that you were perfect and sinless and our perfect sacrifice, that you overcame death and you rose from the grave and you are the only way to the Father in heaven. And Lord, give us boldness, give us courage. Lord, we've been equipped to go and share the gospel. I pray God now that we would be obedient and we would do it and that you would go before us and we would just open our mouths, Lord, and you would speak through us through the power of your word and by your spirit. We thank you for what you will do and we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.